This is an interview with Lily Jones. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself as a teacher, how long you've been teaching, and what subjects and levels you've taught? Wow, so I've been teaching in public education now um, for about three years. Um, and I did some private work with uh, Schools for Autism for about a year and a half. Mm -hmm. So um, overall, I would say about five years between public and private. But in public ed, I teach uh, social studies and mathematics in social studies, world history and geography one, and Virginia and United States history, and in math, geometry, and AFDA, which is algebra functions data analysis. And I'm a special education teacher, so I teach in a collaborative setting and I taught in a self-contained setting. Mm -hmm. Can you describe your school for us? Oh, wow. Um, Holland Springs High School is, um, I want to say suburban. I want to say a suburban school. However, we are about 90 to 92% African American, um, about four or five percent white and the remaining um three to four percent other and so um the interesting thing is i really i believe we have more males than females though mm. which is interesting and in my classroom demographics would support that but yeah i think we have more males than females um we are a school that struggles a great deal with reading um, the English and math is, is, is really a struggle. And, and I think it could be across the board that our children now really technology, they don't really have to read. They can Google everything. Um, uh, very, very, very poor attendance. Um, we have a lot of tardies, uh, a lot of absenteeism. Now absenteeism could be um, due to medical suspensions, um, and sometimes kids just skipping. Mm -hmm. Kids skip a lot, kids leave early a lot. Um, but overall, on a personal level, I, I love I love the school. I love the kids that I work with. Um, I feel like, I just feel like it's a school where you have to have a heart to work there. And you have to have an open mind to really understand what's going on mm -hmm. in that school. Yep. What's the topic your action research study is addressing? So my action research study is more or less addressing the issue of colorblindness. And um, just to kind of put it out there, like colorblindness to me initially focused on that statement, I don't see color. You know, everyone is the same to me, but is that really legit? You know, is it fair? Mm -hmm. um, and the the overarching goal was to figure out whether or not colorblindness was more or less harmful than blatant, you know, prejudice and racism. And that took me into wanting to more or less look at whether colorblindness and 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 the lack um, the lack of addressing color and issues of race and racism would that change classroom climate basically meaning if we have intentional discussions about race and racism is that gonna help relationships is that gonna help build relationships between white teachers and black students mm -hmm. because of the setting more or less you're gonna have a white teacher and you may not have any white kids in the classroom at all in the classroom of all african-american males or 80 percent african-american males so very interesting, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah. And why is this an important problem to address? 
Well, I feel it's an important problem to address first and foremost because it's always the elephant in the room. No one wants to talk about racism. It's almost like we want to pretend that it doesn't exist because if we don't talk about it, then it's not there. Um, like mental illness, you don't talk about it. It's not there. It doesn't exist. And so I think that when we address this in the classroom, it will help us begin to break down barriers and improve relationships and communication amongst colleagues and teacher-student relationships because you have a lot of colleagues that can't really get along and communicate and plan together because of issues of race and racism and issues that that color blindness piece greatly impacts how you respond to classroom behavior it it and so it may be subconscious but it does impact how you respond to certain behaviors yep can you say more about that? Um, so the example that I, I often give is being in a classroom, that word disrespect. Mm -hmm. You're being disrespectful. Well, how, can, how am I being disrespectful if I don't know what disrespectful is? Just because I have my cell phone out texting while you're teaching. I mean, if I sit at my kitchen table with my mom and my grandma and I'm sitting there texting, how do I know it's disrespectful? No one ever taught me. So I think sometimes we have to be a little bit more open-minded and say, okay, what is respect? What is respect to me? What is respect to you? And, you know, culturally, because the reality is that some people are taught that eye contact is disrespectful. But if I'm telling you, look at me when I talk to you and you won't look at me and I'm like, oh, you're disrespectful, but you may have been taught not to look at me in my eyes. So, mm -hmm. Um, what was your research question when you started the Action Research Program? Um, the research question was, how will the intentional inclusion of discussions regarding race and racism impact the classroom climate in a setting where the majority of students are African American and the teacher is white? And um, that required me, of course, to define classroom climate. And um, classroom climate includes, but is not limited to student-teacher relationships. Uh, level of comfort with one-to-one -one student conversations after an unfavorable behavior. And notice we use unfavorable and not disrespectful or just, you know, disruptive. Um, student engagement in classroom discussion, student willingness to request assistance, uh, and student response to reprimand for unfavorable behaviors. Mm -hmm. Did your research question change at all over the course of the study? It didn't. It didn't because with the whole classroom climate piece, I was really focused, I was focused more on the behavior piece and the conversation surrounding the behavior. And one of the, one of the interesting things was um, the zeros. The zeros basically for just sitting and talking about football all class period and not doing your work. That was one of the biggest issues in having to have those one-to-one -one conversations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Giving zeros is a great. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the interesting thing is that my collaborative teacher is a white female. And when the students saw the zeros, they thought the zeros were coming from her. So they would confront her about the zeros. And she would say, well, I'm handling tests and quizzes. Miss Jones, myself, you know, is handling classroom participation um, informative assessments, you know, daily quizzes and things like that. And it was a shocker because mm -hmm. they were like, 
Miss Jones gave me a zero. And so when they would come and talk to me about it, it's just like, yes, you were sitting back there. You were not working on your work. You would take somebody else's work at the end of class and copy it or take it home and copy it. And I could tell because certain questions were geared to your personal opinion. And you're not a female. <laughs> you were just copying word for word. And so it's interesting that, no, my research question did not change, but my focus kind of did. I focused more on those one-to-one conversations after the behaviors and um, the willingness to request assistance, the willingness to request assistance. Um, I think, you know, in the beginning, I noticed that students would, you know, raise their hand and kind of not really raise their hand wild to get my attention, they would do something, act out to get my attention. I would turn around and then they would kind of beg for me to come and help them. And I'm just like, but Miss Britton was closer to you, mm-hmm. you know. So I can honestly say, though, as we moved through, I started to see the change. And, you know, as we got into SOL testing and I'm out of the classroom more, when I came back into the classroom for SOL review and SOL prep, I was like, okay, this looks good, yeah. And so, you know, they were talking and communicating more and asking for, you know, help and bringing their uh, packets up and asking for additional help. And it was just so interesting that as we were going over um, the SOL review packet, I can just see Miss Brendan and I, our conversation, our parallel teaching, the team teacher piece, we were just kind of bouncing. We were just, we were in a groove. And I think it's really because of this research project. We intentionally planned and had those shared conversations and that shared planning time and talked about how we were going to, you know, include the conversations. And with Virginia United States history, it helped a lot. Because throughout the history of Virginia and United States history, I mean, the, the, it's blatant, you know, race and racism played a huge part in everything. So it was, it was, it was interesting, very interesting. Yeah. Um, how did you answer your questions over the course of your project? What kinds of data did you collect? From whom did you collect it? How did you analyze it? Oh, wow. So the biggest part of data collection was um the planning piece sitting down um planning with my co-teacher and i don't informal discussion and and i would say informal formal discussion because of course i had questions to guide the conversation but we were comfortable with one another so we spoke very freely went off script a lot because when you get into incorporating race and racism there are three issues that always came up, and that was the um, Colin Kaepernick, um, the Trayvon Martin, the, the police shootings, and the other thing was the whole thing about the cell phones and dress code, and, and that was the weirdest, weird conversations about dress codes, because we were talking about the flappers, and how the flappers were the ladies where their dresses started to get shorter and shorter and shorter. 
you know, and they were more progressive during that progressive era. And so we're like, well, they were different during their time and they were talked about and, you know, and there was more white women. And those conversations led into conversations about dress code and why are certain teachers always talking about our clothes. And, and it was just like, wow. Now, could you imagine if we were intentional about talking about the differences between maybe were there any black women flappers? You know, let, let's talk about this. So, yeah, it was, it was interesting. It was interesting. And what other data did you collect? Um, field notes. I mean, I took notes on behaviors. And, and the, biggest, the biggest thing with the notes on behaviors, it was more or less emails. I would send, you know, emails to parents, hey, this happened today. But I would detail, you know, um, my co-teacher made two or three requests for such and such to stop talking while she was talking, put your phone away, you know, those type things. And she was very, very polite and just, you know, made the request and kept talking. Never called the student's name. So it wasn't like a picking or calling out. I said, however, when I directly said to them, put your phone away and put your phone away right now and stop talking while she's teaching. It was just like, oh, okay. And they put it away. And so those were, I took notes on those behaviors and how the students were responding to my co-teachers, you know, directives versus mine. And I think what I found with that was, um, I don't, I just don't feel like they took her seriously. It was just like, whatever, okay, you're always mouthing at us or whatever. Versus I'm like, oh no, this is not what we're doing today. We will be respectful. We will pay attention, you know. Um, I think the approach, but once again, until the students saw the intentionality of certain discussions that we were having in the classroom specific to race and racism. The other thing I want to throw in there, one of the things we consciously planned on was for her to take lead on facilitating the discussions. And she would always open the discussion with her experiences with race and racism and how it impacted her to see black students mistreated and things that she witnessed. So mm -hmm. yep. how did students respond to that? They were kind of, you know, I was standing in the room and it was just like when initially they weren't paying attention, but when she started to talk about some of the things that she saw when she worked in other schools, they started to look, you know, start asking questions. And we had one student who we could tell that he was really into conscious culture. You know, he was really aware of the African-American experience and really, truly diving into, well, I just feel like, you know, this is the climate of the United States. African-Americans have always been, you know, disenfranchised, da, da, da. But, but ironically, those conversations were rough at first. And the interesting thing, they were more troubling for me than for my counterpart because my co-teacher, she would like, well, yeah, but you have to look at it like this versus me. I'm like, really? Because once again, it was kind of hard for me to step back 
from growing up in a more upper middle class African-American family versus working with a lot of my students who may be lower to lower middle class or, you know, impoverished African-Americans. So this study impacted myself as the observer and, you know, investigator, my co-teacher. It impacted our dyad that we have going on and impacted the students too. And it really caused all of us to grow with each other. So it's kind of, it was kind of really cool. Really cool. Um, what did you learn through the course of your study about diversity in schools? Wow. This is the interesting piece because race-wise, there's not a diversity, a lot of diversity in the classroom or in the school for that matter. Because, hey, when you're looking at 90 plus percent of a dom of one race, that there's not a lot of diversity. The diversity that I did see was the diversity relative to socioeconomics and gender. Because I always say media and society would have you believe that African-American males are absent from the home, absent from school. But in our classroom, 60-70% was male, African-American male in the classroom. Um, and believe it or not, the male students were really, although they were talkative and kind of disruptive, they weren't the major behavior problems. They weren't the ones getting up, getting attitudes, walking out of class. It was the females. So, um... I learned a lot about situational, you know, um, that whole situational behavior. Because in the setting, the females were, I think, more or less probably attention-seeking. So they acted out more than the guys. The guys were just being guys. Hey, during football season, you had to start the bell ringer off with something about the NFL because they wanted to argue football, you know, and, and, and that's okay. It's okay, as long as you're getting your bell ringer done. But once again, uh, we were able to intentionally incorporate those conversations because a lot of them talked about, you know, the anthem and, hey, did you see this, this, this? So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What did you learn about teacher growth through the course of your study? Oh, wow. Um, I learned that you have to have conscious discussions. Although my co-teacher and I, and, and, and I just, I love her to death because she's open. She was open from, with me from the time I met her. And even now it's just like, we have grown so close. And I think the only way you can grow is to have those hard conversations. And basically, um, you know, I asked her, one of the questions I asked her was about, you know, colorblindness like what does that mean to you what is colorblindness you know do you see color and she was just like anybody that says that they don't see color is lying you have to see color because it's there and I was like wow and it just really it just dove us into so much but I can see the level of comfort in having the discussions and intentionally saying black in, in blacks and not African-Americans. Because in the beginning of the year, I can remember her saying African-American, African-American more. But as we progressed, it was like black, blacks, you know? And it was just like, yes, 
Now, it's getting better. You're really, like, you were comfortable, and I know she was comfortable, you know, in the environment. But I also noticed that her directives became a little bit more stern. She was more comfortable with, okay, you, you know, it wasn't like, okay, now let's, no, it was like, you're going to do it. And even the students' response to that, they were like, whoa, almost shocked. And sometimes they would laugh and then they'd be like, all right, you got it, you got it. And I would kind of just sit there like, you know, because we went from at the beginning of the year before even thinking about this project, I, I remember I remember how students would respond. I remember she couldn't even ask a student to come up to her desk to talk because it was just like, what you want me to come up there for? What do we need to talk about? But yeah, so, mm -hmm. you know, the small things. And I think sometimes we look for such technical changes, but it was basic stuff that you wouldn't even pay attention to that because of how intentional this study was and because of the fact that we were intentionally including conversations of race and racism. Mm -hmm. We saw the, you know, that growth. So, yeah. And that's important. Classroom climate is important, especially when you're dealing, once again, with the climate of race relations right now in the United States. You want to make sure that your academic system is on point because everything is a lawsuit for discrimination. So, yep. Yep, yep, yep. Did participation in the Action Research Project help you grow in any ways? It did. It did. I don't know. I don't talk a lot about it because you know I can go on and on and on. But I had to accept that I had intro cultural bias. And my color blindness, it wasn't that I didn't see color. It was that I didn't really pay attention to how color really impacted classroom climate amongst students because watching, you know, well, listening to conversations amongst students, um, the students talked a lot about color amongst themselves within their own race. And so I didn't realize that certain things I didn't really pay attention to how a lot of students felt if they were um, more darker complected in the classroom or if it was a classroom with more darker complected students and there were more fair skinned students, you know, well, less fair skinned students. And just looking at groupings, looking at groupings, I never really paid attention to. Students really are grouping, kind of grouping themselves. And maybe they weren't doing it on purpose, but just me looking and hearing conversations like, wow. And hearing the guys talk about the girls. And, you know, you know, especially when it started to gear up to prom time and who they were in text to prom, I was like, wow. Wow. I need to intervene and have some conversations. And that led to a conversation when we talked about um, civil rights and things like that. We started to talk about the um, racism, the intracultural racism, you know, how light-skinned blacks and dark-skinned blacks have always had this thing, particularly amongst women. So it just, it led into so much 
that we were learning, um, we were learning together. We were all learning together. So yeah, it definitely had to grow. Oh yeah. Why do you feel the <clears throat> um, research that you're doing is important? How might it influence your future practice and future research? It's going to really cause me to bring up the discussion of race and racism. Even if it's, you know, uh, discomforting. Like, because the more we sweep it under the rug, the worse it's getting. The worst is getting. And so I also think that we need to, those, we need situational questions when we're looking for staff, especially in our more, um, you know, majority black schools. Because not a lot of African Americans are going to the field of education either. So. We're going to have to have some situational questions so that we can see, okay, are you the best fit for this school setting? Because I think what we're doing is we're more or less, we need teachers. Okay, we're just going to throw you here versus, oh, is this the best place for you? Not just the students. Is this the best place for you? Because this may cause you to, you know, kind of regress on your love for the field of education. And we also don't want to harm the kids. Because kids figure out and see more than we think they see. And what they internalize and their perception matters. So, yep. What do you see as the significance of your findings for other teachers? Um, one of the things that I think the significance is that teachers need to really self-assess and really look at what their biases are before they enter the classroom. I think that's one thing. You have to do a self-assessment. And that's for white teachers or black teachers. Self-assess. Because, you know, I would say, I would pose the question to myself, as a, as a black woman, are my expectations for black students way too high? Because I'm basing it off of how I grew up. And that's prejudice. As a black woman, that's prejudice against my own black children because they, they didn't grow up like I grew up. And so we all need to do that self-assessment. Yep. Well, thank you so much, Lily. Oh, thank you. Pleasure talking to you.